So like I said, this will kind of officially represent the end of summer for us as a church because we're ending our time going through David and uh, we got, <laughs> I prayed a lot about this week because um, honestly, the amount of stuff that still is yet to happen in David's life could fill enough messages to go to like Christmas or something like that, but we need to kind of move on. Um, and so I want to make, a, you know, I said that we were flying through David at kind of a very rapid pace, and then we're going to go into next week Jude and James, and we're going to take our time going through those. It's going to be a little bit of a different pace. Right now we're flying, then we're going to slow down a little bit. Well, today <laughs> we're going to fly at like, like, you know in that Maverick movie when he got in that super fast jet at the beginning? That's what we're doing today. We're going Mach 10. Point two or whatever. <laughs> we got a lot to cover, but I'm going to try to draw the points because I think as I prayed a lot about this, the big point from this that I think we all need to hear, it might be the kind of thing that, um, that God wants to give us and we need to think about it. And then as we're going through other things, it'll come up again. And then as we go through other things, like a rock skipping kind of, you know, like we need to have this first thought and go, wow, because I think the main point, the title of today is Faithfulness and Surprise. And these are themes that I think God wants to highlight for us out of this text and the text that came after it, which is kind of like the whole rest of the Bible. <laughs> so that's why I said we're mock 10, you know. And so, uh, but this idea of God being faithful by his nature not able to not be faithful or else he would cease to be God. You follow what I mean there? But our experience of that is often surprise. And I could have used the word, I talked to Kevin about this, I could, uh, the original sheet I gave to the kids had the word confuse on it. And I was like, well, that kind of has a negative connotation. But it's not totally inaccurate because some people, if you remember we go through the story of John, were confused by what Jesus did. And Jesus talks himself as like stumbling you know, or what he's doing is foolishness, you know, to people. Like, so it's not always a positive surprise, but I wanted us to hear it mostly as a positive surprise today because I think that will open us up as the first skip. And then as we come and look at the story of God later in other places, we'll, we'll get the skip again and we'll start to understand this because I think that it will help break off from us a kind of like a lid that I think comes on a lot of the church, especially that is kind of in the post-reformational group, which we are the kind of Protestant church. You know, there's things that we think we have all figured out. And the moment you start to think you got it all figured out, you really kind of need God to surprise you. The good news is he often does. So, um, but it can be unsettling. And it's unsettling to most of the people that we're going to look at today. Let me pray really quick, and then I'll do a little summary of the remainder of David, and then we'll look at what we're talking about. So, Father, open our ears to hear from you this, this word that you want to speak. And I pray that I wouldn't mess it up. I pray that you would help us to help me to speak well and say what you want, and just help anything that's not from you just to not go into anybody's ears or mind. And I pray that you would speak in spite of limitations in time and mind and verbal ability. I pray that you would speak to our hearts and change our lives in your precious name. Amen. 
So basically, I have like a half sheet here of all the rest of the stuff David does as king. But the main point is this. Just as Nathan had predicted last year, calamity and stuff starts to come on David's house. Like, he's the king and everything, but then all of a sudden, it's like, okay, well, like, the next chapter, one of his sons uh, decides he wants to... Well, he rapes one of his other, his like half sister, and then he's like, uh, then the other son kills that son, and that son decides I'm going to be the king, and then David has to like flee from him, and so it's like it's not, this is pretty messed up stuff, right? So, and then David has to deal with people like choosing sides, and he comes back and he's the king again, and then another one of his sons decides he's going to be king, and then that Joab guy that was his friend was kind of not now, and then he, it's a mess, you know. And so the very, what we're going to end on is that the second son, not the first son that decided he was going to be the king instead of, you know, instead of David, there's another son who decides that. He's like, I'm the king now, and he starts to get some of the people around him. And some of the guys kind of go with him. But then a couple of the guys stick back with David, and they're like, hey, you know, this guy, he, your son's trying to do this, and it's, and it's not right. They know it. And so David kind of says, okay, I'm going to make Solomon the next king right now. And so you see... I'll read this in 1 Kings, so we actually get out of the book of Samuel, or 2 Samuel and get into the first chapter of uh, King, 1 Kings, and uh, Bathsheba, who we learned about last week, it's, it's her son um, Solomon, so this is it in verse 28, chapter 1, verse 28, then David said, call in Bathsheba, so she came into the king's presence and stood before him. The king then took an oath, as surely as the Lord lives, who has delivered me out of every trouble, I will surely carry out this very day what I swore to you by the Lord, the God of Israel. Solomon, your son, shall be king after me, and he will sit on my throne in my place. Then Bathsheba bowed down with her face to the ground, prostrating herself before the king, and said, May my lord the king David live forever. David said, Call in Zadok the priest, and Nathan the prophet, which we learned about last week, and Beniah, son of Jehoiada, when they came before the king, he said to them, Take your Lord's servants with you and have Solomon, my son, mount on my own mule and take him down to Gihon. There have Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him king over Israel. Blow the trumpet and shout, Long live King Solomon. And then they do this, and David passes away. So David's story ends. But remember a couple of weeks ago when we talked about the house of David, and God had said something to David in Second Samuel 7 starting in verse 11, like 11b, really. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish your house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood. I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build the house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son and when he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever. Your house, David, and your kingdom will endure forever. Before me, your throne will be established forever. These words forever stick out as kind of permanent, kind of forever words. Like, that would include right now, forever, right? So Solomon does become the king. And as many of you know, Solomon is, like, pretty awesome. He builds the temple for God, like I said. It's really great, Solomon's temple. It's, like, one of these things. It's awesome. He also he's like, excels in wisdom. You know, a lot of these stories, he asks God for wisdom. And he writes, like, you know, he's credited with writing the book of Proverbs, the book of Ecclesiastes, the Song of Solomon. Um, 
and it's not too bad. Like, he's pretty rich. People are giving him stuff. I mean, it's looking pretty good, you know. So, like, one generation after David, it's, like, pretty cool, right? But then da- his son, uh, Rehoboam, he's like, you know, I don't think, I, you know, this, this split starts. And then the kingdom of Israel splits in two. It's like Judah and Israel. So it's like most of it's Israel now. And then there's Judah. And then they all start having, and you can read through First and Second Kings, Chronicles, this whole bit that like they don't really follow what God said much. And most of the kings, like it'll be like a paragraph and it'll be like, then this guy became king and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. And God was displeased with him. And then like bad things happen, you know, they compromise with the 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 religions of the people there, they bring idols into God's temple. There's some high points where they're like, hey, you know what? Let's stop doing that. You know, Josiah, there's a couple people like that that come in and go, shouldn't we, where's that book that he said we should carry around with us? And then they find it and they're like, oh my gosh, we're not doing any of this stuff. And they repent and then, they, but then they forget again, you know, and it goes on for like a while to the point that you start to find like it's kind of falling apart. And God actually sends the foreign empire of Babylon to kind of destroy this kingdom of Israel and take them captive to Babylon. And you see that prophesied in some of the bigger prophets. You see stuff in Isaiah, Jeremiah and everything. And then Daniel and these guys are writing from over in Babylon. But then you got that thing that God said in 2 Samuel 7. I thought you said forever, right? Like, what does forever mean? And people have to think about that. What do we think it means? What does it mean if God, if God, actual God, okay? I'm trying to get, like, not just old Bible story God, like imaginary friend God, but like God of the universe, real God, real right now, as real as ever could be real, says something's going to happen forever, and then it doesn't seem like it's happening forever. What do you do with that? Right? When God promises something, we sing all your promises, yes and amen, but I don't think like I'm doing that. They're not, that's not seeming to work out for me right now. What do you do with that, and how do you handle that? Well, these prophets, some people gave up. They're like, God has forgotten us and forsaken. We for, some people are like, well, we forsook him, and he's forsaking us, so it's over, I guess. I don't know, you know. And then other people are like, um, well, maybe he's just turned his back on us. And then the prophets, though, they hold on to this thing. You see, I read a couple of these uh, a couple weeks ago. I'll read them again, like Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. This is... Uh, a prophecy that holds on to this thing about David. For unto us a child is born. We read this at Christmas. Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. These are pretty bold statements. Here you go. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it and with judgment and justice from the time forward, even forever. That's even like, Make sure you notice I said forever, you know. The zeal of the Lord's host will perform this. Jeremiah 23, 5. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. Sorry, in the earth. Micah 5, 2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. These prophets, they weren't letting go of anything. They were holding on to this truth. And the other thing is that, like, all of what God, God knows the whole time what he's doing. If you remember the 2 Samuel 7 thing, happens before the whole Bathsheba thing we talked about last week. 
And it's her son that God is doing this stuff through. That's, that should fit in the category of surprise. Okay? You're like, that guy? Really? You know? And God's telling David this before he even does this thing. And this thing that I'm talking about was bad, if you remember that, you know? But then we fast forward. We have this perspective. We're, you know, in the, t- the timeline of, of the world. We can look back. I don't know if this is left or whatever. We're going to look this way. This is looking back today. We can look back and we see that years later, Jesus came as a descendant of David and did just what all of these things were prophesying about. But it surprised a lot of people. The genealogies of Matthew and Luke definitely are there to establish this Davidic connection. They want to make it pretty clear. Though they get there in different ways, and there's, we talked about that a couple of years ago, about how they don't follow the same rules and the genealogies do different things than what we do with genealogies now. It's not Ancestry.com, for example. It's a teaching tool. But So if you go and read it and you're like, why don't these match? We can t- Just come talk to me. We'll talk. It's just too much for right now. But the... Uh, uh, but they're wanting to make the point, this guy is this guy. Like, remember all those prophecies? And I only read like a little handful. There's a whole bunch more. And you're like, this is the guy that they were talking about. And they want to make sure that everybody knows that. I got this in a Jew, Jews for Jesus article, and I just like the way it's said here. The title Son of David is found on the lips of various people in the gospel accounts. For example, the blind beggar sitting near the road when he heard that Jesus of Nazareth When he heard it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. There it is again. Jesus' Davidic descendant, Jesus' Davidic descent is also implied in Acts 15 um, 15 through 16, in which James quotes Amos 9-11 with the words of the prophets. With this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, after this I I will return and will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I I will rebuild its... I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it. The tent of David mentioned by Amos and quoted by James refers to the house or line of David. To rebuild the house of David implies the coming of the Messiah. So Jesus is how God is fulfilling all of these things. But here's the deal, guys. They took a long time. A long time, by how, no matter how you measure it, hundreds of years, all right? I will say that's a long time. In the scale of the world, you go, well, that's not that long. But like, so, like, so these people go into exile. They die. Their kids live in exile. They die. You know, people start coming back to Israel, sort of, but like, never, things never kind of get back to how they were. More and more people die. And I'm not saying die like in like, there were wars and stuff, but I mean like generationally. Like, you know, like my grandpa, he used to say that, you know, then they die, and then they die, and then they die, and now you get to where you kind of don't remember stuff anymore. Like, we have, the, we have it written down, but nobody around saw it. Like, nobody around now has saw the Civil War. There just aren't people left that knew about that, you know? And so you have to... <laughs> so people start to develop theories. Well, I, I, I still believe that God's going to do all that stuff he said. Don't you? Well, sure, I believe it. Right? I mean, I don't want to be the person. Of course I believe the stuff God said. He's like, well, you know what? I'm that guy that he was talking about. Let's go and fight all these guys off. Let's, be, let's do what David did. And then these battles would start. And so, so people would claim, when Jesus claims to be the Messiah, 
He wasn't the only person that claimed that. He was just the only person who was right. Now, we, we have, the again, the luxury of looking back on this stuff. We go, well, yeah, I know I would have gotten it the whole time. You know, of course, you know. Maybe not be so arrogant, you know, because when you look at what David did, David was the king, and he was going about, I mean, we just looked at it. How many people did they go and fight battles with? I mean, just go back to the Goliath thing. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? And he's, like, throwing rocks at people, and people are dying, and they're cutting everybody's heads off and every kind of thing. And so these guys are like, I'm going to do the same thing that David did. And then they do. And then they die. And then they go, I guess that wasn't the guy. Because it didn't work. And then another guy shows up. Well, maybe, you know, and there's a lot of it. You can look these people up. You can Wikipedia this stuff. This is not like, this is not, I'm not telling you like secret knowledge. This is just kind of accepted world history. People were like, hey, I'm the guy. And then it didn't work out. And then all of a sudden, Jesus shows up, fulfilling everything that God had promised the whole time. And it didn't look like most people thought it would look like. That's the thing I want us to hold on to. We all assume if I saw Jesus, like the son of David, have mercy on me, I'd be like that guy. Or like the lady that, you know, reached out and touched his, you know, you know. But the Bible is quite full of stories, all the Gospels, of people being surprised that Jesus is the Messiah. Okay? I'm going to take a look at a couple of them. Because here's the, here, I'm going to give you the whole core point of this whole thing, boiled down to an essence about faithfulness and surprise. There's a very big difference between trusting Jesus, actually trusting Jesus, difference between that and trusting our beliefs or understanding about Jesus. Now, you might go, what? How? There's no difference. There's a difference between those things. This one is trusting him. Whether or not I understand what he's doing or I got it figured out. This one thinks I got it all figured out. And you're not doing what I want you to do. Okay? That's a pretty arrogant thing to tell God what he can or cannot do. And we do it all the time. We like to criticize people in the Bible that did it. But, you know, look in the mirror, you know. Here's the thing. There's a big difference between actually trusting Jesus and trusting your beliefs or your understanding or your thoughts about Jesus and what he's supposed to do. One sets you up to see Jesus, even if you're blind. The other, when he's right in front of you, and the other sets you up to miss him. And I want us to be in this category. <laughs> and just about everybody defaults over here, right? It doesn't matter how Christian you think you are. Everybody has some idea of what God is or isn't or is like or whatever, you know. And we put so much faith in that, even the atheists that are so sure that God doesn't exist. They're like, well, what evidence would you need to see to prove that he does exist? And it's like, well, nothing will prove it because he doesn't exist. We're like, what, what kind of argument is that? You see what I'm saying? That same sort of fundamentalist type argument happens in the church all the time. This is God. This is what God does. I got it all worked out here. And you'll go, well, what if some of that stuff doesn't happen that way? What happens? Is your faith in the the house of cards you built, or is it in the, 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 the God of the cards? You see what I'm saying? I'm, I'm meddling now. The way Jesus came looked different than David, and it surprised many. David did, Jesus didn't come and lead Israel in many battles like David did, and he didn't fight on a battlefield with swords 
and destroy the Roman Empire like everybody thought was going to happen when the Messiah showed up. He didn't do that. And he said he came and was healing sick people and stuff and proclaiming good news to the poor, which was prophesied, but was confusing to people, was surprising. And it's not to say that Jesus won't ultimately accomplish some of these things on a second return, but when he came, like everybody was assuming he would, or we know he's coming, we assume it's going to look like this, and it looks different. What do you do with that? Okay? It surprises Mary because she's just a faithful person. And then one night an angel shows up. Luke 1 says this, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Elizabeth, who's John the Baptist's mom, her cousin. Cousin, right, Kevin? That's her cousin, right? Yes, thumbs up. Okay, God sent an angel, Gabriel, angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. There it is. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you, are, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now, Mary wasn't like, that's awesome. It says this, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Which I love that that's in there because when an angel shows up and says something like that to you, you're like, okay, what's this all about, you know? But there's a lot of things that could, I mean, I, the surprise is she's in Nazareth. I mean, jo- Joseph, he's a descendant of David, but they're not in Bethlehem. There's a lot of things missing from this puzzle here. Mary, greatly troubled by his words, wonder what kind of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus, and he will be great. He will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. That's why we said, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. This is the kingdom we're talking about. Now imagine God saying something like, what? You know, obviously it works out. She's all for it, you know. But, you know, there was other people that were waiting. When I was praying, I went to this in Luke 2, you know, Jesus is presented at the temple. There's two people there, Simeon and Anna, who've been waiting. Simeon, I'll just read it because it's, it's just a, it covers the whole thing. This is Luke, Luke 2. When the time came, so Jesus is born, just like God said he would be. And he's the son of the Most High. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him, Jesus, to Jerusalem and presented him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn. Male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of doves and two young pigeons. All right, we keep going. Okay. Now, there is a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. Listen to this. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. I just want to pause really quick because we had a class on Thursday about this kind of thing. Okay? It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he'd seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, at that moment that Joseph and Mary show up with Jesus, he went to the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. (laughs) We get the point. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying this, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all the nations, the light 
for the revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. He knew who he was looking at. And the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed him and said to Mary, his mother, the child is destined to cause the falling, the falling and rising of many in Israel. Remember the surprise? And to be a sign that will be spoken that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Those people knew who they were looking at. But even John the Baptist was surprised at the nature of Jesus' coming. You see this in Luke 7. Jesus is John the, John the Baptist who's preparing the way for the Messiah. Like we, we just recently covered so much of this stuff. He's like, I'm preparing the way for the guy, right? But he wants to make sure that this... Are you the right one? Or are you just like the other guy? And listen to this. Luke 7, 18 to 23. So you can go back and read this. John, so G, John says, go over to that Jesus guy and find out if he's, the, if he's the one. The one, the one, you know. John's disciples told him about all these things, calling two of them. He sent them. He's, they're telling about what Jesus was doing. Calling two of them. He sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? That's not doubt. That's just clarification. Like, are you the one or not? You know? Are you the one I'm preparing the way for? Or are we, should we expect someone else? And I think that's a prayer you can pray to God in any area of your life. But look at the answer. When the men came to Jesus and they said, John the Baptist sent us to you. Are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases sickness and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind so he replied to the messengers go back and report to john what you have seen and heard the blind receive sight the lame walk those who have leprosy are cleansed a deaf ear the deaf hear the dead are raised and the good news is proclaimed to the poor blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me why you know why are you going to stumble on something like when you stumble on something is it because you're like i'm walking in the dark and i didn't know that was there you see what I'm saying? That's a surprise. He, but he, he knows, he's like, this isn't what you were expecting per se, but I'm going to make, you know, remember how like that last thing we were just reading, they were like, like it says to in the law of Moses, like it says to in the law of Moses, like, you know, they're fulfilling the law of Moses. They're, these people, these are written to certain audiences and they're saying, we want to make sure that you know that we're doing this the right way. Jesus knows what he's doing here too, because he's quoting out of Isaiah in two different places. When he's making reference, he's like, okay, you're looking for the guy. He's not saying, well, let me play a little game with you. What he's saying is, go tell him what you see. Now I'm going to point out these things that Isaiah was talking about, and you're seeing them right in front of you. And those guys are going, it is him. I get it. But Jesus and what he does is a surprise to his disciples all the time. He's a surprise to the people in Nazareth. He's a surprise to the Jewish leaders repeatedly. As we went through the Gospel of John, Jesus is healing people. And then they're like, 
aren't we right to say you're possessed by the devil? That's the Jewish leader saying that? That's a surprise, okay? When you, see God, when you encounter Jesus and you go, that's probably a demon-possessed guy. That's a wrong inference, okay? But they're working with what they got, okay? Just like we are. We're not any better than any of these people. Jesus, was, it was a surprise what he was doing. It was a surprise how he was doing it with people. It was a surprise that he was talking to, like, the Samaritan woman. I mean, we could go through all of that. We don't even have to do it all today. But if you think about this subject and how Jesus is, you know, it's a surprise to Peter that Jesus has to be crucified. It's a surprise. They're like, stop saying that. Like, everything you're doing, we love. But you keep talking about going to Jerusalem. I was like, stop saying that. You know, one of those times is when he says, get thee behind me, Satan. You remember this? Jesus is surprising everybody. He's surprising everybody all the way up to the cross. And the disciples don't know what to do about it. And you see a lot of that, at the, you know, in Luke 24, when the guys that aren't in the 12 disciples, but they're in the kind of greater group, are walking to Emmaus. And they're like, I don't know. Like, what just happened? You know, they're in the world of, we thought this guy was the Messiah, but then he didn't lead any sort of rebellion thing, and then he got killed. But, I mean, he really did seem like God. I mean, he was really, I don't know. I mean, like, and now, now we're hearing that maybe some people are saying he's not dead anymore, which was as weird as it was then as it is now, okay? So they don't know what to do about that. They're pondering kind of in this area. What I expected to happen didn't happen. So what does God say about that? What does that mean? What do I do with that? And while they're in that moment, Jesus himself shows up to them. And you can read it in their own words, starting in verse 17. I know I'm reading a lot. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? Jesus himself asked them that. And they stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And what things, Jesus asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him, which is horrible. <laughs> now listen to this. And this is a key word here. But we had hoped he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. What does that but imply? That he didn't do it, right? They're like, but I guess we were wrong. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And some of our companions went to the tomb and they found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, listen to this, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And in this one, there's an exclamation point. So Jesus is like, come on, guys. What Bible were you reading? And he says, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And the beginning, and then, listen to this. I wish this was like podcasted because I would like to hear it. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And you all know how that goes on, that they realize finally that it's Jesus. And 
weren't our hearts burning within us? When he was telling us this whole thing, this was God's plan from the whole beginning. After dying on the cross and resurrecting, which was a surprise, Jesus returned to heaven and promised to send the Holy Spirit to fill all of us, including us right now, today, in 2022, in this world, as we wait for his return. And Jesus promised that one day he would return and finally make all things right. And we're waiting on him to return, much like the Israelites were waiting on David's descendants. We're in that exact same posture. I put this in the notes for the kids, so I'm just going to read it for us today, okay? Jesus is a descendant of David. Jesus is the true king of Israel that God promised to David in 2 Samuel 7. The true king of Israel is the Messiah and Savior of the entire world. Many prophets in the Old Testament prophesied Jesus coming. Jesus came fulfilling the prophets, but the way he came surprised many. Jesus may do good things in our lives that surprise us as well. And Jesus promised to return before, as he was ascending to heaven. He's like, I promise I'll come back. And Maranatha, the name of our church, is literally an Aramaic prayer that the Lord would come. But I want to talk about this surprise thing, okay? Because many of us are tempted and I think wrongly, to build a foundation. Kayla, why don't you come on up here? A foundation in our understanding. And the Bible says to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So I'm not talking about, like, not knowing the Bible. Like, you even have to know the Bible to get most of the references, like, these guys are talking about. Like, these guys knew the Bible, like, they'd memorized a lot of it, okay? So the idea of, like, if, you, if you're hearing from what I'm saying, like, I don't need to read the Bible, I just need to experience God, that's not what I'm saying, and you're wrong, okay? So <laughs> delete that part. What I'm saying is you can build a system and think you got it all figured out, and you can do that and miss God completely. And the warning is a lot of people in the Bible did exactly that, and they weren't doing it because they were evil, bad people. They were doing it like Paul in Acts, before he was Paul and he saw, he thought he was serving God by actually killing the people that were part of this new movement. He thought he was actually doing what God wanted by killing these people. And it took an encounter with God to go, with Jesus to go, oh my gosh, I was wrong. But you can be so sure <laughs> that you got it all figured out. God does not want us to live a Christian life that way. He wants to live us a life of faith in Him, wherever it goes. And you see this a lot in what Jesus is teaching because He gives you these, these uh, parables. He talks about the sheep and the goats at the end. The end end, you know. He's like, I'm sorting out my sheep, the ones who hear my voice, all that kind of bit. And you're the goats over here. And what's interesting in that parable is everybody's surprised. They're like, when the, the, the sheep are like, well, when did we feed you and do all this stuff? He's like, well, whenever you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. And they're like, okay. And when these people are like, but wait a minute, didn't we, when did we not, well, I didn't encounter you. And he's like, yeah, but you, you overlooked the least. So there's, everybody's surprised at that point, okay? There's, there's true and false disciples. You know, he's like, uh, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. 
but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, that second coming day, that judgment day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons? And in your name perform many miracles? Listen, this is Jesus talking. Then I will, play, I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. That's a shock. There's a parable about ten virgins, about having oil in your lamp and being ready. There's a parable about workers in the field where people get paid the same thing. And he's like, many of the last are going to be the first on that day. Many of the first are going to be the last on that day. That's a surprise. We think like, well, you know, there's like people like us who have to live this way. And then there's people like Kanye West and they live a different way. And that's true in this world. It's not true in the kingdom of God. You see what I'm saying? I'm not saying anything about Kanye West per se, but I'm just saying it just doesn't matter anymore. That kingdom come, his will be done, is what Jesus was doing the whole time. He was breaking this whole thing. Maybe breaking isn't the wrong word. Re reforming the world to be as God intended it the whole time. And there's an ultimate moment where that happens. And right now, those of us that know the story of Jesus and the hope found in his name live with that reality now while we're kind of stuck inside this other reality. But we have it. And it's an overwhelming victory because we know it's coming, like a tidal wave or like a bulldozer. It's not going to be stopped by anything, no matter what people try to do. And the good story of coming from the Gospels is even if we're shocked, God isn't. He's faithful. And so what I want us to invite us to is to be those that are submitted to humbly receiving the surprise of God. Because when God's surprise hits our lives, it feels, sometimes it's convicting at first, like Paul, when he encounters the surprise of Jesus. And he's like, wait, who are you? And he's like, I'm Jesus, you're persecuting. And you're like, oh, no, <laughs> you know. But it works out, you see what I'm saying? Eventually, you get to the fruit of the Spirit, even in your life now. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, eternal life. But the point isn't well, how you benefit from it. The point is, it's the truth. It's the real reality. It's the life everlasting that Jesus is coming to give. And it will surprise us so often where he's willing to do that and who he's willing to do that with. And that's actually... Good news, unless you think, and as a person who has kind of OCD, I got to get it, that you want to have it all worked out. That's so limiting to God. You're like, God, I only want you to move in ways that I'm comfortable with, with my limited life experience, and that will be just fine. And <laughs> as arrogant as that is, we probably mostly say and do and interact with God like that, in a good faith, faith way, because we think we're being, you know, careful or something like that. But there's also ways that sneak around on us, like where the disciples, when Jesus gets rejected in one place, and then his disciples are like, you know, do you want us to call down fire on those people? You know, we're tempted oftentimes to want to call down fire on people, stuff like that. I want to read this as a closing to our um, study of David. 
and that God would start to break down in our lives card houses that we've built that aren't of his making. Because not everybody that encountered Jesus didn't know who he was. That's why I included Simeon and Anna in there. They knew what was going on. They were waiting on him. You might be surprised God chose them. I might be. You know, it's surprised to me that, the, that all these priests and Pharisees and Sadducees, these guys memorized, I'm saying memorized, most or all of the Old Testament that we have. All of it. Like, they know it. Okay? You would think they would catch on. Some of them do, but very few. Meanwhile, you got these, <laughs> these wise men that show up to bring Jesus prophetic gifts because the stars told them to. That's a surprise to me, okay? Like we saw his star, so we came to honor him. What? These guys have everything, and they're missing it. You have nothing. You have this, what? what? I don't even know what you're talking about. I'm not even sure I believe in that. You know what I mean? Yet God receives these gifts from these people. So I want us to be in a position where we are, son of David, have mercy on me, and not, aren't we right that you're demon-possessed? You know, because we end up doing that kind of thing to God all the time. Stand with me. I'm going to read this, Isaiah 11, 1 through 5, as a closing to this time. And then Caleb will sing a song. And if you want to come pray, the altars are always open. We'll meet with you. Isaiah 11, 1 through 5. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, and his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt. And faithfulness, the sash around his waist. Jesus, we know that you fulfill these words. But we, don't, we admit that we don't always understand how and why you choose to do what you do. But we know that you are ultimately good. So, Father, I pray that we would be people who have eyes to see and ears to hear your voice, eyes to see you when you move and ears to hear your voice, so we wouldn't be fools on the road, but that we would be open and we would say, Son of David, have mercy on me. And I pray that, Lord, have mercy on me. In Jesus' name, amen.